You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jam. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Screenwriters Need to Hear This. I'm Michael Jammon. I got a special, very special guest today, Mr. Danny Zucker. You don't know who he is. You don't know who I barely. We worked together on many for many years on a show called Just Shoot Me. But I want to, I want to, this guy is, you don't understand. This guy in the industry, he's known as a joke machine. He is known as the guy who comes in and hits that home run joke that makes everyone just laugh out loud in every episode. And so let me just talk about his credits and I'm going to bring him in. He's got a ton of credits. So uh, I guess we'll talk about this, but we, I guess he started out on the Arsenio Hall show as a joke writer. Evening Shade, which I didn't, I forgot about that because I was a PA on that show, uh, but not when he was there. Roseanne, listen to his credits. Roseanne, Grace Under Fire, Fired Up. He probably, do you want, is it okay if I mention it? No, I guess I shouldn't mention it. No, you can totally mention all the terrible ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just shoot me. We were we worked together. Jesse off center, which he created. Coupling the men's room, another show he created. Surviving suburbia, the unusuals. Uh, Modern family, which he just got off of, so he was there for many seasons. But then also uh, God, the Devil, and Bob. Norm uh, watching Ellie. Oliver Bean come to Papa. Stacked. I mean, dude. Act. I'm glad you finished on stacked, by the way. Yeah, that was a yeah. <laughs> But what a man, dude, you have some, you have some, you, in, in this podcast right now, I would say you have the second best credits. Who have you had? Who's better? <laughs> no, I'm talking about me. Oh, no, your, your, your credits are fantastic, dude. I mean, a lot, uh, but great memoir in me when I want to get out of the business. Oh, but also you do. Well, you, well, you can start writing it now, I suppose. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you? But also, um, can I even talk about this? You have a famous book about uh, where you you and Trump, uh, you got into, uh, this is before he was president, right? Yeah, it was. It was, um, I think, uh, 2014, back when everybody hated Trump, not just people who could read. (laughs) But And so you just started trolling him on Twitter. Just randomly and just a little, like just a small little tweet. It was like, and then he exploded. And then we went on to a months long with hundreds of tweets back and forth. And if you go back and look at it, because it went re-viral when he got the nomination. But if you look at it, he didn't, like, I was just a beta test. There's nothing he said about anybody else, whether it's like if, whoever he wants to talk about, that he didn't first try out on me to no effect. Really? It always bugged me when the Democrats would say, like, um, well, it's so hard to fight against. It's like, no, just read what I did. It's not that hard. <laughs> I feel like anybody could dug on him. I remember thinking that you that he picked the wrong fight. You don't pick a, a battle of wits with a professional comedy writer. That's not what you want to do. It's all I do. It's yeah, it's like it's like me getting into a dunking contest with LeBron. It's not gonna work out. I have one skill, period. I can't do right. anything other than this. It's and all so, I was trained to do. And this was that modern family where you were a writer. And did you did you want to did you bounce off any jokes off of anybody? No, or? in fact, I mean, I would, he started to go after Modern Family, like when he would, you know, and that became like something he would pick on at a point. That when he started doing that, I went and I talked to the cast and the other writers and the co-creators, Steve and Chris, and I said, hey, like, you know, my show, I would just go forward, but it's your show, right? Um, and they were like, no, get him. It's like fine, and it was like I have to say, like back then, you just have to remember, like. He was a, he was such a safe target. Like I would have to scroll for I scroll and scroll and scroll to find one tweet that supported him, like one uh-huh. reply that supported him. And I'm sure it came from somebody in his office. What was weird and why I knew like, oh, shit's different 
is it went viral again in like 2016, 2017, at which point I got a lot of like, you're an asshole, Y-O-U-R. I got like, it was like, there was a lot of hate. Like people yeah. were on his side all of a sudden. I was like, what? Because it was, Republicans, he was a joke. Right, you know? right. And, uh, and, and so it was like, whoa, it was really weird. And it was, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, you know, I, I continued, I continued to be a voice, but you know, I, I, I had threats, I was hacked. I had a lot of stuff go down that was like sort of, um, yeah, it was like, it, you know, it, it got a little bit scary. I mean, it's scarier for women who went up against him. At, at some point, though, did he just block you? Oh, within the middle of that, by the end, after months, he blocked me. And I stayed blocked all through his presidency. Um, <laughs> and then how did that become a book? Well, I was doing it like at the 20, what was it? The, at the midterms, the 2018 midterms, I was part uh -huh. of like a Democratic um, uh, affiliation. Like there was some fundraiser and they'd asked me if I wanted to do like a live reading of my Twitter war and like, you know, Tim Simons from a uh, um, Veep was there and he said, he had an unenviable job of being Trump and we did it. And then another friend of mine who does a lot of this stuff says, we should put that out as a book. And and then we just, I just wound up doing it. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Man. it's just a little, it's a hundred pages. It's like, it could not be shorter. And, and, and I comment on the little tweets as they go along. And yeah. So, but, uh, <laughs> but so and then I gave it to, yeah. And then I gave it to charities like, you know, uh -huh. Um, legal aid for people at the border and Planned Parenthood, like all the things. You oh, good. Oh, now uh, tell me. So I don't. I remember. It's so funny because we worked together twenty something years ago. Right? I know a lot. But I, you remember, just so my audience knows, you were the guy who all of us wanted to impress in the room to make laugh. You were the guy because it was your approval. Yeah, it was because if we could make Danny laugh, then Aww. yeah, because you were the home run hitter. But that, but that room had, I felt like that room had a lot of heavy hitters. It's very flattering to know that. I mean, I always thought, you know, I thought you and your partner, Seaver, were like, it was just, everybody was well, good. We were young. We were, we were all baby writers, but it, it, I mean, there were definitely a lot of, it was a really talented room. I think that might've been one of the most talented rooms I've been in, to be honest. It was certainly one of the, it was one of those rooms where like, because Just Shoot Me was a show that really survived on jokes. Like yeah. it was like the way it was built, it was like, it wasn't. It, it, you know, it wasn't about like a lot of touchy feely moments, you know, or we get to them occasionally, but it, what it was most successful at was like, you know, what are the jokes in that world? Yeah. And, and, and so, and we had a lot, you know, it was a lot of really good people. So, man. And then, but you started, I forgot about this as a, as a joke writer on the Arsenio Hall show. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, I got, um, <laughs> I mean, I was quite young. I was like, I think like 24, or 25. And I managed to get like a, um, like a PA job on that show. Cause I'd worked on as a PA on another show with a producer there. And anyway, I got there and, you know, we're doing run through things and, um, it, you know, writers there had 13 week contracts. And in the first 13 weeks, that show became an amazing hit. Like he was on the cover yeah. of time magazine and he wound up purging a lot of the staff on a Friday. And I just went home. This, you know, I went home that night uh, and, now long ago and on a typewriter looking at newspapers um typed up a bunch of jokes and on monday handed a you know my submission to some of the other writers there to put it in with the packet you know they because i knew they were looking and they knew i wanted to write and on monday like he did one of my jokes and then like on tuesday he did two of my jokes and on thursday i had a good amount of jokes in and on that friday the following friday he hired me wow so it was like but I, you know i've been doing jokes you know i don't i wasn't it's funny. I was like, 
we were doing a move in our house. Like we were remodeling something, we had to move out. We get, so it goes through all of these boxes. And in one box, I found, oh, my Arsenio jokes, like a big book of my Arsenio jokes. And I thought, this is a gold mine. I can sort of recycle some of these and put them in things. <laughs> and I started reading through them. And they were all such shit. It was like there's nothing salvageable. <laughs> but I guess it worked for there. That's so, you know, because I was a joke writer on the Mike and Maddie show for a little bit. And I had oh, that's this. That's right. Uh, but I would go through my material. I, I have the same, like a binder like gold right and i looked at it recently I was like there's nothing in here it's terrible it's i terrible. would never hire this fucking guy <laughs> but but was it your goal like in high school to be like a on to work like late night or what or scripted yeah it was i mean i really you know i wanted i, I mean I, in high school i was doing some stand-up poorly you know because i had nothing to say and uh, but yeah. i really did i wanted to be on letterman or snl and um and you know i got out of college and i did like i put together this reel that people seem to like. And I got into Letterman as like, you know, I talked to like Gerard Mulligan and a couple of people there and I made right. a submission. And then, and I got my first rejection letter from them and the second one from SNL. And, uh, um, and, uh, and I still have those. And they're, they, they, they're, they're, because, you know, you go through that. I wound up getting a job with, um, but I wound up getting a job with Howard Stern who was doing some Fox pilots. Um, he was going to be the show that followed Joan Rivers show. Right. And they never went, but it was it was a couple months producing a week of shows, you know, practice shows. And uh, well, a couple of good things came out of that. One, I've been friends with them for 30 something years as a result. Right. Uh, Baba Booey was in my wedding. And um, right. but then but then um, I also met a producer on that show who liked me and he brought me out to, you know, he brought me out. He said, I have a, a PA job out here if you want it. And, you know, so it all led from that. So, But you never decided to like resubmit to snl or letterman i did i mean i was you know i was absolutely planning but then i wound up getting an opportunity to be, you know i i got I, I i wanted to and then i came out here it's funny because before i got the arsenio hall um uh, this is a really dark, horrible story before i got the arsenio hall show <laughs> i got um uh i was like up for like to be a baby writer if you remember pat sajak had a late night talk show mm -hmm. yeah. and it was pat sajak show and a lot of my friends a lot of good people were there like you know Fred Wolf, who went on to write a lot of stuff for all those movies mm -hmm. for David Spade and Chris Farley. But like, so I was submitting packages and the head writer there, this guy, Monty, I don't mind trashing him on this. He, he, um, he put me through the ringer. Like I kept submitting like over the course of, um, um, you know, weeks of submitting to him. I would note that it was like, fine. I was like young and prolific. Anyway, I wind up going in, um, and I get there and there's another guy, there's writer Rob Young, who went on to write for Leto for many, many years. And he, and Monty said, here's the thing, you're both baby writers. So if you don't mind, I'll make you a baby writer team. You know, you'll, it'll, mean, it'll mean splitting a salary and all that. And you have to be okay with it. And we're like, I was broke and had got no right. credit card debt. We're like, yeah, let's do it. My family was in town, my mom and my two sisters and, uh, and my stepdad. And we're like all getting ready to go out and celebrate. And as I'm getting out the door, the phone rings and um, it's Monty. And he said, you know what? We've re I, he gave me a key to the office, by the way. We've reconsidered. We're just going to go with Rob. Oh, my like God. after offering me the job. And I literally like my knees buckled and it was like the darkest meal ever. So I was really depressed for exactly 12 hours. And the next day, um, Marla, this woman who went up to produce the Arsenio Hall show, called me and said, I can't offer you a writing job yet. But if you want, you can come in here and be like like a like a segment PA. And right. I was like, yes. And so that's all I wanted was the opportunity. So it was like literally I had disappointment for 12 hours. And um, still, that is crippling, that disappointment. It was crippling. I've never forgotten. the. Yeah, you know, I feel it just the way you said it. It was really cruel. I mean, it was like 
I describe, I mean, to like the people interested on the podcast who are aspiring and whatnot. I mean, yeah. it is, and you can attest to this, and everybody I know can attest to it. It's a getting punched in the face contest. I mean, and there's no shame in stopping. It's just how many times you can get punched in the face because you right. will continually. I mean, I've recently been punched. You know, I did a pilot and it's like all the way going and boom, punched in the face. And it's like yep. it never stops hurting. And at mm. some point, we just decide not to get up. I'm just not there yet. But, you know, right. but uh, but uh, people don't. Yeah, I think it's important to know, like even us at our level, <laughs> it's none of it's a cakewalk. Everything's, you know, a lot of rejection. Uh, it, it, it's true. And I'll never forget this because there, there's a writer on our studio hall show. He's about like eight or nine years older than I was. And, and like, we were pretty young staff and, but, and we were going like all going to Vegas. And why did you ever come to Vegas with us? And he's like, you know, and he pulled me aside. He took me for lunch. He goes, he said, you, you're good. You don't want to stay here in late night, the whole, your whole career. You should like, I'm taking the time. A friend of mine is doing a pilot. I'm helping him with it. And I'm putting, you know, and I think you should be thinking about like starting to spec out half hour. And I thought, okay, you know, he's very avuncular. Well, that, pilot he was working on was and his friend was larry david who was working mm. on the seinfeld pilot he was larry charles um right. and 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 you know so he you know it was a real inspirational thing that moved me forward and years later when i'm first getting like my first like you know i'm a story editor on like evening shade or one of those things and i remember running talking to him and i said it must be nice to not worry about the next thing and he's like oh i worry every single day and this is who Larry Charles said this. Larry Charles, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, like, I thought, is he just saying that to make me feel good? But then, you know, as I saw it, I saw like the people from Friends leaving the mm -hmm. hottest show on Friends, like not, you know, you know, you, it, you, it doesn't carry over. It's like you you get in the door more, but you're right. still subject to the same humiliations most of the time. Why did they tell you? Why did he tell you you don't want to be in late night for the rest of your career? He thought that I, he said, if you, he, he more said it this way. He said, do you want to be a late night? Do you have aspirations to do more? Because it can be a golden, you can, it can be like mm -hmm. a golden handcuffs because what right. can happen is it becomes comfortable and you won't do anything else. If you want to do something else. And he thought, and he, and he said, he thought I was good enough. To, he thought I had the ability to go do something else. Uh, and, um, and that was all it was. It wasn't like he was belittling it. He just mm -hmm. knew I had aspirations beyond it. And he said, while you're working on something good is a great time to be working on the next thing. And right. I, I, I took, I, I, I took him seriously. I mean, but you had to learn a whole different thing. You had to learn how to write stories. That's a whole different you know, thing. And, but didn't you find this for you? So you started as a joke writer. You don't know if you can do it consistently until you do it. And then you find out, Oh, I can. It's right. the same thing with half hour. It's like, I don't know if I can do this consistently until you find out you can. But I remember the first couple Specs I wrote, like first were terrible. Then I wrote a couple that were decent. And then after I wrote that first decent one that got me an agent, I remember the, I got signed by an agent. And then I remember thinking, I, I don't know if I can do this again. I think that's it. I think I got lucky. Oh, dude, I'm utter, even to this day, I have to tell you, <laughs> like I'm, I, I'm utterly convinced that every job I have is the last job I'll ever have for my whole career. And right. that this is the script where I'll be found out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, where the, where the big, where the, you know, it's it's imposter syndrome, I think. But it, I don't know. I I've never met somebody who turned into script and was so freaking proud of it to me, or something like that. It's like, oh, this one's gonna kill. Where that was any good, you know, right? Like, like that kind of confidence doesn't means you haven't like questioned it. And what were those early days like for you on those early shows, like Roseanne, and like what was that like? I loved it. I mean, because I I did discover I was good at, it. and they were uh -huh. like it was competitive, which I liked. 
Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, I held my own. I was like, you know, I did a really good, I felt like I did a really good job on Evening Shade and they recommended me to right. Roseanne and I was a good hire there. And, I'm, you know, the, Roseanne was one of these situations where like 30 something writers because we hire all these people. But there was one like main room and, 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 or like two or, you know, of the main writers. And it was very egalitarian. You know, it wasn't just like, okay, you're a co executive producer, you're going to be in that main room. Or that, it was egalitarian. And, you know, I had worked, you know, as a second job, I worked myself into the main room. Now, keep in mind, that also meant working on weekends, but it was still. What do you mean as a second job? What do you mean? Well, no, it wasn't a second job. It was like I said that uh, um, you would, I, it meant that if I got into the main room, uh-huh. I would, you know, I would work longer for the same amount of money. Oh, oh I see what you're saying. I, yeah, yeah. Right. And they were, yeah, because the hours were really tough on Roseanne. I remember they were that. hard. No. Yeah. Was- I remember getting, it's funny, I remember getting interviewed to be in the night PA on Roseanne. I was like, the night PA? Yeah, you start around midnight. I'm like, oop, start at midnight? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good job. Yeah, I remember. Was, I think at one thirty in the morning, Rob, you at one point saying, "Guys, if we just let's focus, we can get out of here early." <laughs> but it wasn't. Mi- so what time? What were your hours like? What time did you usually work until? <laughs> it depended, but like you know, she would blow up the script several times, and you had to deliver it. And yeah. you know, sometimes we'd have to start from scratch. And so you know, we saw more than you know. I saw several sunrises. We called it uh, working from Howard to Howard. Like you come in listening yeah. to Howard's turn and you go home listening to Howard's. Oh my God. And that's, and that's rough. I mean, I've been on a couple of shows. I mean, I was young though. It, it, it helped to be young. Right. I know. Imagine doing that now. You'd be like, I don't know, guys. It's getting, it's, it's, it's five-ish. It's getting dark. <laughs> I gotta know. go home I mean, now. I want to eat my dinner at 4.30 now. So it's like different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then all your other jobs afterwards, it's just interesting to follow how, were they just mostly connections or your agent submitting you how, how almost you... all were con- like so what happened was so yeah so evening shade led to a connection because victor fresco is friends with rob Ulan and mm-hmm. and then tim doyle who was coming in also and 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 so i got there from there when i went to grace under fire it was kevin abbott it, were, it was like a, a splinter group of us who went on to that from there kevin wound up getting like a brillstein deal off of that and then they were like, he, they were asking who else is good over there. And he recommended me. So then I got a Brillstein deal and did my first pilot. Right. And when that didn't go, I was like on, I was somewhere like on vacation with my wife. And, and um, I got a call from my agent that about like, hey, they're looking to bring somebody on the show. Just shoot me. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I read the script, which I liked. I, you know, I'd seen the first pilot and I was wrapping up. And so. I, I don't, how many, you were there from the beginning, right? From the pilot, yeah. Yeah, so what was, um, how many did you do that first season? Because I came in in, in six. The, the, at the, yeah, so I came in on episode six of that. Uh-huh. First you, were the, you were there for the first episode, final episode of season, of season one? I don't remember that. Yes, I was. Yeah. Wow, yeah, because okay. we, yeah, because I'm, yeah, and so, uh, um, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, um, yeah, so that and that's how that led, and then from there, you know, that led to a lot of different things, and and you know, you know how it is—you start to develop a name, so then you at least right. you can at least get in the door, you know, a little bit. So, and then, but even now, okay, so how does it work for you now? What is it? I mean, it, it, even like I know you just you just had a pilot. What felt like? What was that process like? Well, it's, it's you know, it's hopefully it's going to be alive again. But um, we we got just some a little good news. But you know, I was talking about a couple of pilots, but like I, you know, I got. I have the same manager as uh, I'm at Brillstein again as a management company. And um, 
over COVID, they were like, hey, you know, you want to sit down with Kevin Neal and he has this idea. Oh, right. Kevin and I wound up writing something that I really love. And there we go. Let's give him, give him a shout out. Oh, There's you got book. it. Yeah, because Kevin was a, um, Kevin, Kevin's so sweet. He was the voice on, he was actually the voice on this animated show we did. He's over there. And uh, Oh, really? Which one? Uh, Glenn Martin DDS. So I work with Kevin for years. Oh, that's right. I remember that. And he's so, he's the sweetest guy. And so he's been, he's been a pleasure to be in my yeah. life. So yeah, um, yeah it's just been, he, it was a real blessing. Well, I was just going to say, so when he put his book out, I was like, yeah, I got to give, I got to help promote his book. Cause he's just the sweetest guy. Yeah, you know? yeah um, he is. He's the greatest, but you know, there's a perfect example. So it's Kevin Nealon who has all this acclaim. I don't have no acclaim. And, and like we write a pilot that's great and we still get fucked around with, you know, it's like oh, sort yeah. of what I was saying, you know, it's like, there's no, it never ends. <laughs> Yeah, no, it doesn't end. And so, yeah, so that, so just so people understand this work. So the, you sold it to, well, your, your studio paid you. So it was a, we, the studio, yeah. And it was like developed for TBS okay. and, um, and then the whole TBS structure went out the window, mm-hmm. like in, yep. in the midst of doing it. And, and we just got screwed. Now it came back to us and knock wood, we have something, but you know, and then, you know, I'm just developing other things right now. Yeah, so you'll try to shop that and write, and so yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the this is the first year though when I because I've been working on this animated show Housebroken, mm-hmm. their second season. It's on Fox. My first animated show I've ever. Oh, I know that. Oh, wait, wait, I know that one. It's with yeah, it's with Gabby, uh, Gabby, and Jen Crittenden and right. Susie Kudrow. It's like a bunch of pets in group therapy, right. which is really a funny idea. Right. And it was super fun to do when it ended, like in in I don't know. September, I mean, we're still doing post-production, but um, when it ended in September, I had a couple offers to staff or a thing like this, and I just, I said, I, unless it was something I really wanted to do, this is the first time I decided not to do that, not to really? run it in my whole career, because I I felt like I don't want to do that right now. I'm tired of racing, and I wanted to, and I got to travel, and I wanted to do certain things and work on what I wanted to work on, right. and just sort of have faith in the process, because because. You know how it is. You miss a lot of life if you don't do that. So, uh, yeah. Well, it's a, there's that. Yeah, it's like that trade-off. Do you go on staff or or try to develop on your own? And you're just yeah, you're and I'll nice. go. But I also it's just a trade-off. Of like if I don't go on staff now and I want to go on staff later, I'll find something. And it's like I'm not going to just not do it there. You know. Right. So. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free. Join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammon.com slash watch list. Right, so now you're just coming up with ideas or teaming up with other people. Yeah, I'm actually supervising a couple pilots that I like, and I'm writing one, you know, developing one of my own, and then... And, and, you know, it's been super fun. And, you know, I'll start submitting again when, you know, shows get picked up. But uh, right. it was fun. I got to go yeah, around the world. Well, oh, go around the world. For, for what? Oh, oh, because you're on yourself. You, you just yeah, I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Interesting. And then, and so what was like, oh, all right, so your last, I guess your last big credit was Modern Family. So what was that called? What was that like? Wow. I mean, I mean what, what a credit. Me? Well, here's the thing. So I'm 44 when that show gets, you know, picked up. And, you know, mm-hmm. especially like in comedy, right? You know, you think like I went prior. So it's kind of funny. So prior to uh, um, Modern Family, you know, a year before that, 
happen a full year you know we had a writer's strike and right mm -hmm. before that steve levitan who we know from just shoot me and and chris Le lloyd were doing a show with um kelsey grammer and patricia heaton called um uh back, back to, to you back to you yeah uh, yeah and um and and i didn't get hired for it and i was like really i've done everything for you and it would have meant like i could have logged my deal and and then the writer's strike happened it was the first time i went a year like basically almost a year without working on anything right. and so i started to spec out a couple i spec out a pilot that was a little bit more dramatic and wound up getting hired on a drama that noah hawley was doing in new york called the unusuals and i was like and it was really fun to do a drama and easier by a mile and right. so um but um and it was like i was the funny guy in this like people other writers would come to me if they need because it, it should have had a wry aspect to it in this cop drama and so i could punch up and i was able to write right. a drama uh, a script and it was great and that show didn't get picked up but then i had a couple offers on other dramas when steve called me and said hey chris and i have done this pilot i think you should come in and take a look at it you might be interested in it now in my head i'm thinking i can't wait to watch this pilot and say no i don't want to do it because i can right. get hired on this stuff but I got five minutes into the Modern Family pilot. And honestly, to me, Great. it's the best comedy pilot I'd ever seen. Yeah. Like for just like it, it felt so fully formed already. Yeah. Like with that cast and it just like everything clicked in a way that was magical. And I was like, I got to get hired on the show. And uh, so people ask, did you know it was going to be a hit or did you know this? We had there was a lot of pressure that first season to do something as good as the pilot and to be in that world. And. But we could feel it. We, you could, you know, you could feel something building. Like you could feel yeah. this is something special. Um, and uh, and uh, um, yeah, it was an amazing ride. And I'm sort of glad to have that happen to me in my 40s, particularly after a year of sort of, oh, slightly slimmer picking. Because I really appreciated it. And I knew it won't, I, I knew this doesn't go on forever. Like I know that that's a very unusual yeah. And rarefied thing to I mean, happen. It's kind of like the last big, big hit, you know? It feels like it. I mean, it, it it's especially a broadcast hit. It's like, yeah. it just like, it, it went from the beginnings of like, streaming is a possibility to like, no one watches um, network television at the time it's on anymore. Right. What's interesting about, I, I always love like writing in that show is like, you literally watched those children grow up to be adults, you know? On the air. Same age. So Luke, the kid who played Luke and the kid who played Manny and Alex, for that matter, uh -huh. were all the same age as my twin girls. My son was younger. So I, I, I used to joke that I, I got to watch the kids who make me money grow up with the kids <laughs> who cost me money. <laughs> but and how odd is it to write new stories? Like, it just seems like it's, you know, it's almost odd that because they're older now and you get you're writing stories for them being older, you know? Yeah, but it's like you... <clears throat> That is actually, for me, I did not mind that because I felt like in those first couple seasons, it was very, you know, we had all purged our lives for like stories. And right. so I was just waiting for my kids to grow up and do something more interesting. Right, right. You know, you know, and I think and and I think a lot of us were. And so I didn't mind that you were moving into those those stories. I mean, it gets hard, though. I mean, you know. You joke like, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know wasn't as good in season eight or whatever it's like well, let me put it this way it's like the most interesting family you know most like the obamas let's say uh -huh. when they're at a dinner party they have at most 15 to 20 stories they tell yeah that's yeah. it Th those are their goats and they're the most interesting family you know like we did 250 episodes where each family yeah. had like a, 
it's hard. You know, you, you, it's, it's, it's different. And we're not like animated. So they have to be somewhat grounded. It's not like you can do like meta episodes. Like you could do like on the Simpsons or things like that. Um, although I wish we could have, but, uh, um, but I, and I always, cause I always talk about like how writers mine their own life for stories, but you have a famous, you famously took a story from your life, I think. Right. And you said in one of the, at least one of the episodes was the, it was the fire. It was the fire. I'm thinking of the fireman. Yeah. I didn't write it, but I, I told it in the room. I had had a, um, okay. So yeah, it was like the, the, I live in Manhattan beach and the, um, the EMT workers there are like famously, good looking dudes like i right. some i it makes me question where i am on the sexuality spectrum <laughs> anyway i wound up having an attack which i thought was um a kidney stone it turned out to be gallbladder i was like but it's two in the morning and i wake up and i feel like i'm being stabbed to death right and my my wife and that and that you gotta call 911 you gotta call 911 it's like she was like okay it's gonna be fine she calls 911 and then I'm on the floor and I don't see her when I hear the the fireman like knocking on the door. I'm like, Annette, Annette, where are you? And then she comes out of her closet and she's dolled up. <laughs> like she, because it was the middle of the night. She put on, she looked, you dressed up for the fireman. And we just did that word for word there. Right. So you go in to, and you tell the story the next day in the writer's room and then it goes right in the script. It's amazing. And it's amazing because you start to lose any shame. So like one of the things like I'd worked, I had known, uh, Brad Walsh, who was par partnered with Corrigan and Walsh, right. I'd known him for many, many years before this. Worked on a show with him, a couple shows with him, and never. And but we get into that first season of Modern Family, and we're like looking for stories. And he's like, and I see him struggling, and he's like, "Okay, fine." Um, my sister and I were part of an ice dancing team. Like it's something he wouldn't tell us ever, except we needed it. He knew you needed stories, right? Oh, you give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll give your mother. I mean, people don't realize like you're. It's late at night. You're trying to come up with a story, and you like you do. You'll swap someone's arm for a story. You know, like a good story is so hard to get. Yeah, I've only like like. There's a time on like it was actually just shoot me. I think it was, but like we're looking for a story on some kind, and it was the only time I won't tell it here, but it was like that. Um, my wife. Uh, at the time she she actually said, uh, "I would rather you didn't do this because they, they want they'll watch it." But it was it was it was this very simple story. It was like they, I used to fly my in laws out here before they moved out here to come see the grandkids. I was like, you know, of course you're going to come over and say I'd fly, and I do this back and forth. Happy to do it. I'm a generous guy. Life's been good. Uh, but then I found out like they'd get the ticket and then at the airport would pay for the upgrade to first class, uh -huh. and it, like sort of like wait a minute. <laughs> And it shouldn't have bothered me, but it did. Wait, wait, but they were paying the upgrade out of pocket. They were paying for the upgrade. They were paying for the upgrade, but it was like, I guess we could pay for the upgrade. You could, like, what are you, like, oh, if they could pay for that one, they could pay for the ticket, you're saying. Yes, I got it. Right. But, right. um, but of course, that's me. That was not like, and even as when I was pitching the story, I said, this is going to be my problem, not theirs. <laughs> but uh, um, I said, so I, so I, I put the guy on. I, I stopped. But that's about the only time I have. <laughs> I mean, we've all embarrassed people in our lives, you know. And but and so yeah, I mean, so, but but basically, there, so there are other stories in Modern Family you took from your from your life as well. Basically. Oh, tons! All of us did. Yeah, we, we 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 had one like so. I have twin daughters, and at one point, like so, we had to go to a um, we had to go to a uh, um, parent teacher conference when they were like in I don't know second grade, and my daughter it's Lily and Charlie. My daughter Charlie. I would tell my daughter Charlie. You know, we're sitting there, and it's uh, it, um, and uh, and then I say, "Hey, so um, um, your dad and I 
you know, tonight your dad and I are going to need to split up. And, um, and it's like, so do you, is there, do you have a preference? And it's like, and she just thought about it for a second. She goes, well, I love dad, but I think you'll take better care of me. And she thought like we were, and she was so calm about us splitting up. Like she just like, yeah, I get like, obviously that's, <laughs> so she was like, it was just like so weird. And so we had Luke basically do that with um, uh, um, Claire and, uh, um, and Phil. So. Yeah. Wow. That's so, yeah. You just got, it's like, you're just gonna be conscious of your life, but go, but go ahead. What you were going to say? No, we had a lot. I mean, Steve's kids walked in on him having sex um, in the pilot when um, Luke, they do the thing. We're going to shoot you, Luke. That right. is the deal. If you shoot your sister, he has actual footage of him doing that to his son. Yeah, that, that, I remember thinking that this. I remember watching the pilot thinking this had to be from his life, and it doesn't sound right. <laughs> he shouldn't have done that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, when you go about creating a pilot, other than the Kevin Nealon thing, which is you know a little different because he has this. Like, how do you go about? How do you start thinking about ideas? It's it's a variety of ways. Like there's some that are just like, oh, this is an idea that's been sort of itching that, that I've been itching to do. I mean, in, in the day, you know, I would think I could, you know, but it's just an idea that'll get in your head. The other way is somebody comes to you with an idea or a piece of casting. I have one right now that was kind of a, I'm not gonna talk about it here, but it was like right. but it's it's because I'm 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 down the road, but it was it was just a wild idea that came to me with like some good casting associated, but it was just <laughs> one line and it's broad and silly. And I was like, how am I gonna make that work? Right. And I actually went away and um on a trip and and somebody just clicked how I would do it. And so I'm you know, I've written up a treatment and <laughs> So hopefully that thing goes, but it's a right. sometimes it's an actor. Sometimes you read an article. Are, do you are you do you develop sometimes with actors? Because we never we develop for comedians, but never right. actors really. It depends. I have developed for an actor a while. They're usually a comic actor though. Yeah. You know? Um. Uh. But uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, I have. I mean. I don't know. Where do you guys get your, what do you do with your ideas? I mean, don't they, they mostly come from your heads? Are you talking about it? Or it's such a hard you know, target to chase. It is a hard part of it that we struggle with. Cause you always hear this is like, why are you the only ones who can tell this story? And you're like, well, um, we're not, you know, I mean, and, and the other thing is like, well, I'm, I'm a writer. I can kind of make up stuff. Like, so they, but they always want to hear like, why is it? So you have to always, it always has to be personal, which is a little hard. It's like you run out of, the personal things. And so, uh, yeah. You sound like an obvious, this is going to sound like a question and maybe this just, it speaks to me not being a good guy, but I, I know this, but don't you lie? <laughs> um, but you, you, you exaggerate, you, you basically say, you know, you try to extrapolate, well, this is, I, I this didn't happen to you, but something similar happened to me, you know? But I'll be like, okay, so this is based on a guy I went to school with. Right. But is that good enough? Cause then they'll, but then they'll say, okay, but then go get the guy who you went to school with. Get him in here. It's his story. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, 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 no, what I will say this is my – you know, I'll, I don't know. I can – first of all, I do think when you're writing a show, no matter what, you're putting yourself right in all of those characters. I think it's a silly request. I do try, even if it was like something science fiction or it was something like broad and big, I will always try to craft an origin story. That is usually mostly true, but just like, you know, I had this experience. I thought, like, how do I explain? Like, I'm doing something with somebody right now, an animated show that I'm supervising that has a lot to do with mental health stuff. And this right. girl cracked it. And it was like, so when I'm coming in, I say, like, I've tried to do mental health issues for a long time, never found the key. I think she did. This is like, and and so that's my, that's my part of the sales pitch. 
in this. It's, and, um, it's so interesting because we don't even supervise. It's not, it's not that I'm opposed to it, but there's not a lot of money to supervise something. And you wind up doing a lot of the work. So, Well, I'm very careful with what I pick in the supervision. Uh-huh. And I'm also very careful what my you know, rate will be. So I, for me, oh, it was like, okay. I, but, but, but it's like, no, but it's like, I'll take, I, you know, somewhere along the way, it's going to be a gamble, but I want to be with somebody who I know is going to, and I'm very explicit about that. I always say like, if I'm going to wind up co-writing this, we are going to be back here to renegotiate because my deal is very specifically not for scriptings. And um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm pretty clear with that with my management and stuff like that, because if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to take a piece of it. I normally, I don't, I, I don't want, to. I want to help them do it and then I'll run it if it goes. Right. But I, but I'm just, when I was younger, I had a couple people, I had one person in, in particular who was sort of supervising me, who took over something and I feel like crash landed it um, before right. I was ready. And, and I'm so careful not to do that. I'm just there. So I, I really do want to make it that person show. But the problem is, because and I, I have we haven't done this, I haven't experienced, but my fear is you'll turn it in the studio, will not be happy with it, with their work, with their draft, and then you will have to do all that work. You will have to do all that rewriting. Um well, I'll have to do some work, uh-huh. but um I'm I'm picking people I think who's have a pretty good sense of Right. I, I'm betting on certain people. I'm not betting right. on like somebody who is just like a comic. I'm betting on somebody who is at least writing or has right. like some work to do. And so those people, they don't come to you out of the, I should be clear, they probably don't come to you out of the, off the street. They come to you through channels, through agents, managers, stuff like that. Yeah, or through, or through like pods. There's somebody we're developing right. this or we, we love right. this pitch. And that's sort of what happened with this, this animated one I'm doing. So. Right, right. Interesting. Now, have you done a lot of animation? That's something I, I didn't, no, you got the all that. Just this housebroken show. That's the first one right. I've ever done. And was, it's been was very that also fun. on Zoom? All on Zoom, practically. Oh. Yeah, yeah, all on yeah. Zoom. But yeah, it was weird. a real blast. I know. I thought I didn't mind it. Right. Well, you had to be in your house, get to relax too. Uh, it was kind of fun. It was yeah. I mean, and also just having something like you know, it was again. We went into the pandemic. Nothing was going on during that. I was just sort of sitting mm-hmm. home writing pilots and, and doing right. stuff. And I was like, "Oh God, am I done again? Am I done?" Then I got a call mm-hmm. from, you know, Gabby and Jen and that production company they, that if I was interested, I could come there. And it's like I loved every, you know, I love those guys, and it's all these a bunch of really great people over there. Um, it's like yeah. basically the whole cast of Veep is in that thing. Oh yeah, I know. And a- and, and and it was just like it's just been a blast. So right. Yeah. Wow, and so, and I also know I, I noticed you've been you've been performing a lot too. Yeah, I have. I started doing uh, I started doing stand up a little bit. I, mean, I took a little break, but I've been going. Yeah, I took like a thirty something year break from stand up, but it's been fun because I now have stuff to talk about, and I don't care what happens because I already have a career. Like, there's and no then, stakes in it at all. And you go, I mean, and so you go up. How often do you go up? <clears throat> well, when I was doing it more, I was going up a couple times a week and little clubs, little club shows. I was actually. Um, I shortly before the pandemic was going through a divorce, and um, um, and but I was dating somebody who was a comic, and so and she did a lot of club shows and would put me on, and then we just recently broke up, so now I need another in to do club shows. But I wound up going though. I wound up going to Edinburgh. A friend of mine who's a comic was doing a show in Edinburgh at Fringe Fest, and I opened for him like for four shows, and it was really a blast. It's so interesting. We're talking about doing that. What what was your experience there? I I would definitely want to talk about that. 
Loved it. Yeah, we have to talk because I'm actually <clears> thinking <throat> about putting something up there myself. Oh, we got to talk now. We definitely have to. Yeah, talk yeah, we'll more. talk afterwards. Um, wow. No, I want to. I want to <laughs> stop this conversation. Talk, but and so, but do you want to do more? It's so interesting. Like, do you want to do more performing? Because I always, I love to perform. I don't need to do it as a career. What I find is, I just like the process of it. Right. I like the way it makes me, like I had this epiphany when I started getting up on stage, I, like right before the pandemic, a friend of mine was doing the DC improv. And at this point I had like, and was going to needed a, like a, a feature. And so I was like, she's like, do you have 15, 20 minutes? And at the time I had five and she's like, and I had a week to go. It's like, well, I'll figure it out. So I, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, just on the, all the way over, I get it. And I got there and I'd written some stuff. And like, there was a joke I had in the act that I thought was, it's gold. Like, I, I just know this joke is going to work as an open. Yeah. And the first night, it didn't really work that well. And I, I came back. My first night was a little rocky. But my first, there were two shows a night. Two, I mean, so the first show, first night was a little rocky. Not terrible. It was not like I bombed. It was just about terror. So, and from, from the second show, I started to figure stuff out. And it got good. Except that joke didn't work again. And I was like, well, I don't know. It'll work tomorrow. Third try still doesn't work. And with that, and so fourth show, I abandoned it. But what it, what was interesting about it for me was this. I'll write a joke for a script at a table read, and it won't go well. And I will be convinced I don't I didn't go well at the table read, but it's a good joke and it right. will work. And I'll fight for it. And sometimes it'll get on. And now I'm thinking. It should be a very obvious realization to anybody who's not a complete narcissist. But to me, it's like, maybe I don't know. <laughs> but the thing is, Danny, if I was, if I had a, but if I had a bet, if I had to say who could, what comedy writer do I know <clears throat> could go in, put together a stand-up act in an evening, or, you know, in a couple of hours, who could write a freaking five or 10 minutes in a couple of hours and kill, it would be you. Because it's just, it's just easy. If, you know, if one thing bomb, whatever, you can, you'll pitch on it to get the one that works. I, I, I feel like that's the case for me. And I also think like, you know, you know this, there's like the two kinds of comedy writers. There's the extroverted ones. And then there's the ones who are just like quiet, but like, you know, good on the page and like, you know, really, and, and, you know, will pitch their assassins when they pitch, but they're not like, they don't have that perform. They're not frustrated performers. Right. And, um, and I just, I just really enjoy it. I mean, like, and again, I enjoy it wherever it is. Like I enjoy it in a club with 10 people or in a theater with like 200. It's like, for me, it's like been, it's been really kind of, it's just about the process. Like I have no goal to like, I, I'm not looking to get a Netflix hour. Like I don't, none, none of that appeal, none of that happens. I just like doing it. I find that the process of it works a different part of my brain. And like my, you know, I, you know, like I said, like in like in the course of a couple of years, my marriage ended, my job of 11 years ended and then the world ended. And it was yeah. like so I was like grasp, you know, so it was like it was a lifeline. Were you that I mean, did that panic you at all? Did all that? That's a lot to hit at one time. By the time. Well, no, because by the time the world ended, my my marriage like was and that was going through nine months and I survived the worst of it. And Annette and I are like we're super close. We're like we're best uh -huh. friends. It's like the best. And then the show ended, which was a little bit you know, traumatic and it was going on. But having survived the uncertainty of a show ending and a marriage ending, by the time like everything shut down, I felt like I was like, oh, I've been living in chaos for a while. Come on in. I'll show you. You know, it's like, let me show you around. Let me show you. And that was and it's, that's kind of what your act is now. I mean, or no. 
No, no, my, my most of my act. I mean, it depends. I mean, I do a lot of my act about like, um, oh my god, how far have I fallen? Or I talk about, I talk, I talk a lot about like, I talk about like when a joke doesn't work or something like that. It's like, oh, they, you know, think it doesn't work. The the Academy of Television, Motion Pictures, and Sciences really liked it though. And like, I'll talk <laughs> about like my, I'll, 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 I'll be falsely humble about that. Right. And also, it's it's been interesting to, to discover. You know, when I go out to a lot of these club shows, I am considerably older than a lot of the comics who are there. But like in my head, it doesn't feel that way to me, but I can tell that that's how I perceive. And that's also been interesting to talk about just being older. Do you think, because so many of these comics want to get into actually sitcom writing. And do you think they look at oh, you like, you're the guy? There's, there are some who look to me. Who, you, but you know this. Can't you tell when someone's talking to you and wants an opportunity, or is just like being cool? I, 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 I can usually tell. Well, but no, but I wonder if I wonder if not that they're like sucking up to you, but if they're just in awe of you because of everything you've written. You know, I think there. I think there are some people. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that they would be impressed with that aspect of it. I, uh -huh. I I'm pretty good at putting people at ease, though, because that makes me uncomfortable if people start doing that. I mean, I know it's all coming from a good place. I just right. I, I don't I don't like um it's too much pressure to be um vaunted. It's like I will like because all I can think of when someone's looking up to me, it's like I'm gonna so let you down. It's like you have no idea how disappointed really? you're gonna be. See, it, it's interesting because that whole reinventing okay, so even in the comedy room, even I remember like you were there were times you'd be on stage in the con there are ten of us in the writer's room and you're on stage. And so it seems like you are a you really are a performer, but this is you. This is like a big deal reinventing yourself, especially at this age. It's kind of it's very intimidating, I think. Or no, for not for you. No, no, I love it. It's it's intimidating. I am so much more afraid of stagnation and things like uh -huh. that. And it's you know, and it, it's it's interesting because you know, especially as you get older and in comedy writing, you know, my whole career there were like you hear like a certain subset of writers as they got into forties talking about ages, which I'm not saying doesn't exist. Of course it exists, mm -hmm. but. What's interesting is some of the voices that were complaining the loudest about ageism, I would see on the show and then we'd be pitching some, they'd be pitching something. And then somebody like younger might say, yeah, that feels like a little familiar, you know, familiar. It's like, Hey, it worked on this. You know, and then they would disregard. It's like, this is what worked on, you know, growing pains. It's going to work here. Right. And I, it, I really clocked that. And so for me, part of doing, stand up and hearing like i say very like i'm interested in comedy as an expiration date and i think writers don't understand that it's like a lot of people comedy people don't understand it. it's like yes this was really funny and you could be upset that you can't say this word or this word anymore but you rolled your eyes at the generation that came before you too like right. remember that and you have to like it is constantly changing you must the big experiences i've had is like I can't wait to show my kids when they would get old and start to get older. This is classic comedy. And to watch when you watch it again for the there are certain things that hold up, but a lot of it doesn't hold up that well. Yeah. Right. If someone said, like, okay, they want to put you on tour and you tour the whatever, like a like a like a road comic, would you do it? I mean, if I I might. I mean, now in the it's different. I if you ask me this before the age of Zoom, uh -huh. I'd probably say no. Now, if I, if I got to that point where, you know, I would want to be good enough. Like, I have many opportunities to cut the line, given who, like, are, you know, my status. I know people 
who like if I wanted to, I could suck up to somebody in a much bigger club and say, hey, give me a couple spots here in a way that younger comics wouldn't. Right. But I, I, I desperately don't want to do that because I want to be good enough to get that spot. You know, right. I'll work it out there. And when I get there, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know. I have a weird ethos about the whole thing. It's probably just a way of me procrastinating doing more. But... That's inter- it's so interesting. I, anyway, I, I know you. We actually you do have a you have a little bit of a time limit, but I want to and I want to talk more off camera. But I want to. Is there? Yeah. Is there? Is there anything I can pr- pr- plug or send people? Send if they want to know more about what you're doing. I'm on all social media at Danny Zucker Z U K E R and and uh, um, yeah. What else? I got nothing to promote right now. I I don't know. I don't have any dates till after the New Year, so I don't know what those are going to be. Wherever I'm performing, but uh, um. But yeah, that's it. But follow him there to know when your next pilot gets picked up or whatever. <laughs> when your next show. Yeah. Thank you for saying when. 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 All right, everyone. Thank you so much. Danny, I can't thank you so much. I'm so happy that you did this. This is uh Oh, I'm so happy to talk to you, man. You've always you've and also you've always been one of my favorites. So uh dude, like a handful of people in there that I uh dude, you're kind. Uh so that's it, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh yeah, continue. What am I going to say uh, at the end of the podcast? Well, if you want to get my free newsletter, go sign up for that. I send it out once a week at michaeljammon.com slash watchlist. And, uh, and that's it. Continue following uh, you know, on Instagram and TikTok at Michael Jammon Writer. Okay. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you again. All right. You're welcome. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jammon. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at MichaelJammonWriter. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.